As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. New VanCast for you here on this Thursday as we work our way to a weekend, a glorious-looking weekend here in Vancouver, Tom, and hopefully people will be able to get out and enjoy, and maybe we can uh, help them spend some of their time if they're going out for a walk on the seawall or around the park, whatever. Uh, take us with you and uh, listen to the VanCast, and, and we should mention as well, before we get up and running on this episode, huge thanks to Newell Brown. I, I thought that was a really good episode. We got lots of great feedback, so just wanted to take a moment to thank Newell for stopping by and being part of the VanCast uh, midweek. If people haven't had a chance to listen to that one, maybe you file it away for the weekend and have a listen, because uh, I just thought there was a lot of really good stuff in there with Newell Brown. Yeah, a lot of meat on the bone. He's so detailed. It was a fascinating conversation. Really enjoyed having him on. And uh, and best of luck to him wherever he lands. I, I expect he will, in fact, land and be working and running an NHL power play next year. Uh, he should be. Canuck coaches everywhere these days. Newell Brown, uh, not a Canuck. <laughs> Newell and Brown a, no longer a, a tanning bed near you. <laughs> <laughs> Newell Brown no longer a Canuck coach, but hey, that looked like Travis Green on my television screen last night. That was incredible. The timing uh, so of all good. of that. <laughs> so good. Um, you know, hopefully, 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 Travis has better luck at the tables than he did being shown on. Uh, national broadcast right before his former winger Tyler Toffoli scores on the power play in a in a big Canadians win in Vegas. What a, what an incredible run um, that's continuing. I mean that was a that was a pretty decisive win. I know Vegas sort of got to doing Vegas things in the third period, but Montreal was full value. That was a really good performance. All I could think when they showed Travis on TV is like, man goes to Vegas to get away from it all. <laughs> and then he's oh, right, right back into his worst nightmare as yeah. Tyler Toffoli. Like he hasn't seen enough Tyler Toffoli goals and, and been reminded of Tyler Toffoli all season. Goes to <laughs> Vegas in the off season, and there's Toffoli doing it again. So uh, incredible! I'm sure he's happy for him, but my goodness, sure. Hopefully, he had a sense of humor about it all. Uh, <laughs> hey, there was a, a little bit of other Canuck news to come out of the game last night, or at least the broadcast, and that was uh, Elliot Friedman. Reporting that Travis Hamanek, who to this point has always been locked in on Western Canada, uh, right? In fact, uh, the deal from the Islanders to get to Calgary and then signing with the Canucks, it was all about staying and playing 
in Western Canada, closer to home. He's a Winnipeg guy, but still, Western Canada was his preferred destination, and it has been the last couple of years. But Elliot reporting that Hamannick is opening the doors here as a pending UFA, which, you know, that can complicate matters for the Vancouver Canucks. If they're serious about re-signing him, they still have exclusive rights for another month or so, but this now brings other options into the mix for Travis Hamannick. Yeah, and I mean, I think, look, Good, good on Hamannick. He, he should be keeping his options open. It's too dicey in UFA for mid-range players these days to limit your options artificially, right? I mean, if you are looking to get fair value, you need to have open options. So totally understandable decision. I don't think anything that, you know, I don't think it's anything that Canucks fans or management should be panicking about in the, in the event that they view Hamannick as a must-have piece. Uh, I wouldn't if I was Canucks management, but I, I think the fit makes a ton of sense if, you know, all things being equal. And, and I expect the club to still, you know, try really hard to get it done, but but not before the expansion draft, first of all. Anyway. Right. Yeah. And although although you can have the parameters sort of agreed to, even if you don't put pen to paper until after, um, you know, I, I expect the club still to be motivated to keep Hamannick if it, if it all makes sense. But it has to be at the right sort of price point. Um from a Canucks perspective, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, for me, for me, it's a complicating factor, but it's nothing to sort of get your back up about or, or, or even worry about too much. The club needs to be really careful in, in what cap space they allocate to anybody they sign who's a non-star player. Uh, they're not going to have the t- a ton of space to pay, you know, 30-year-old guys a ton of treasure in term this summer. Like, they structurally that's just not where they're at unless they can significantly reallocate cap space out of pieces like Erickson, Beagle, Roussel, you know, and Holpe, right? Barring one of those deals, like they're, they're, you know, they're not looking at paying a guy four and a half million to play defense for them next season. Like they're just not, I don't see how they can be. And so, you know, I know that the sides had really good dialogue before the trade deadline. I think there's still, you know, obviously, this this bit of information sort of suggests that perhaps things could get complicated. But I, you know, I, I still think the club's going to be motivated to find a deal here. Um, you know, and and the fact that Hamannick's expanded his list of potential destinations. Uh, I mean, you know, maybe that takes the Canucks a little bit out of the driver's seat, but you know, probably only a little bit. Even if you're willing to hear offers and go elsewhere, I mean, surely the lure of this factor that's been determinative in your career for the past five years doesn't just go away, even if you're open to other options, right? So we'll sort of see where this one goes. But th- this one for me is uh, is one that you have to look at, you know, in the context of negotiations and the flat cap era and how difficult it is to get appropriate valuations as a UFA, a non-star UFA in the market these days. Um, you know, I, I don't think it significantly changes sort of the arithmetic or the structure of what everyone's looking at here. I don't either, but I just think for some people that are trying to pencil in lineups for next season and the Canucks moving forward, thinking that maybe that was a player that, you know, the Canucks had the upper hand because they had leverage, uh, since he didn't to this point want to move on, that, you know, if you've got a guy that has articulated the fact that he wants to play here, then, you know, maybe that puts the ball in the Canucks court. But now, like, why wouldn't you? Even if it's posturing from his camp, like, why wouldn't you use all uh, avenues available to you to up your leverage. And the other thing, too, is, you know, they got him on the bargain basement deal ahead of training camp because last year was 
I mean, it's fucked. Let's be honest. The whole year was, right? Like, he's a 30-year-old who can still play in the National Hockey League. Like, they weren't going to get him on that same contract. No, no, no. A second time around. So, even if people wanted to believe that there was value there, uh, the idea of getting Hamnick, you know, one year at a million bucks, like, that wasn't going to happen. So, anyways, we'll, we'll see where that one goes. It's interesting to note, Tom, like, today, as we record this on June 17th, is exactly one month for all NHL teams to submit their protected list to the National Hockey League. So let the maneuvering begin. I know games are still going on. The playoffs still have you know another round beyond this one. But the clock is now ticking because we have spent the last couple of years talking about teams that are going to be in a protection crunch and other teams maybe try to poach and, and move in. One month from today, teams have to lock in their protected lists, submit them to the National Hockey League. And I thought a really instructive piece. Look, there have been a ton of mock drafts done, um, but our colleagues at The Athletic, Ryan Clark, the beat writer for the Seattle Kraken, Eric DeHatchik, and Dom LeCision have gone through, I think it's mock draft draft 7.0 yeah. <laughs> in The Athletic. Um, <laughs> we and, and, we and, love our mock expansion drafts, bud. But we love no, them. A, but a month out. Like yeah. this now, and like these are informed opinions. These are guys that have done their homework and their research. Like this gives you a pretty good idea of what the Kraken's initial draft list could look like. Not necessarily their opening night roster, because there will be changes beyond that. But yeah. in terms of players that are plucked from the other NHL teams, I think it's really instructive for people to go through it and have a look. And you just, you get a sense of like, okay, those are the types of players that are going to be available to the Seattle Kraken. Uh, we boil it down to a Canucks perspective. Ryan has them taking Madison Bowie, and the other two have Zach McEwen. So yeah. there you go. That's mock draft 7.0, has the Canucks losing Zach McEwen twice and Madison Bowie once. Yeah, and, you know, there's some names on that list that I think should be premium Canucks targets in the trade market, right? And you sort of look at, I mean, Mason Appleton's name keeps coming up. <laughs> I know they had him on. So, yeah, no, we talked about him. And but as he should, as he yeah. should. Like, you know, this market right now is like Gaga over Sam Reinhardt, right? And fair enough. I mean, you know, long list of Vancouver connections there. Obviously, his father. Um, you know, if you're, if you're on a beach and you see Sam Reinhardt this summer, like that could very well happen if you're a hardcore enough NHL fan to recognize him, right? Like he does make his offseason home here. Vancouver kid, um, Vancouver hockey family, uh, on and on, right? Really good player too. Let's let's add that, right? Like a really good defensive top six forward who scores goals in bunches. Top ten NHL scorer this year. Uh, really good piece. And and Canucks fans are excited about the prospect that you know he might be moved, right? And maybe the Canucks can get in on that. Fair enough. But a player like Mason Appleton for me at 900k next year. Like that's, that's, it, it might not be sexy. It might not get, you know, um, people sort of not, like salivating over the prospect of it, but man, he's good. Like he's really good. He's 25. He's 900 K next year. He's had very few opportunities to play with really, really skilled players or in offensive situations uh, in his career to this point at the NHL level anyway. Um, like that's the type of piece. Warren Fogle. A lot of, uh, a lot of my colleagues have Warren Fogle being picked. That's it. That's another guy. Um, you know, and, and in both cases, yeah, if Carolina trades Warren Fogle, they're maybe a little bit more worried about losing Jake Bean. And yeah, if Winnipeg trades Mason Appleton, 
they're maybe a little bit worried about losing Logan Stanley. So you don't get the guy for a fourth round pick, but you but you might be able to get him for a second or a second in a prospect or something like that. And those are the types of pieces that for me are worth trading, you know, if not retail value, pretty close to it for because they're affordable, because they're fast, because they're good defensively, because they can play in your middle six and add real heft. And, you know, like the Canucks really do have to get at least a piece out of one of these expansion crunch teams. Like I think it's an absolute necessity, an essential thing that this club has to find um, a way to do over the next month because, you know, you do have to get that done before the trade freeze. And as you say, that trade freeze is exactly a month away now. <laughs> Just looking at Don Lecision's comments, like they go through it team by team and they all explain why they picked the player they yeah. did. So Ryan Clark has a little blurb on Madison Bowie and then Dehatchik and, and Dom both write about McEwen. <laughs> Dom says, really didn't matter who I picked here as it was unlikely anyone available from Vancouver would actually make the team. McEwen seems fine, I guess. He didn't produce at all, but his possession numbers were among the team's best. It is crazy, Tom. I was thinking about this the other day. Like, we are weeks away from, not that we're going to mark it, but the one-year anniversary of the Canucks summer training camp, right? The bubble training camp ahead of going back into the bubble. At this time last year, the Canucks right side consisted of Tyler Toffoli, a healthy Brock Besser, an 18-goal Jake Vertanen, and Zach McEwen, who was one of the standouts of that summer camp. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, life well, moves pretty quickly. I, well, in the, I remember like doing the mock drafts then, right? And, and it was like people were debating hotly in the comments like, I don't know about losing Zach McEwen or like, you know, and, and Jake Vertanen and Adam Gaudet and Tyler Toffoli and Jacob Markstrom were on yeah. <laughs> like the first Ste- iteration Stetcher. of yeah. Stetcher, yeah, of my – projection projected expansion list included like eight players that are no longer on the team. Um, just wild. It's, it was really a incredible uh, 12 months for this club. I mean, not just what happened in the bubble, but also all the players that have either disappointed filtered through been dealt left in free agency, uh, you know, it, incredible. Like this, this last 12 months. And I still think people are grappling with it, you know, like, uh, even Newell Brown saying that he thought the club's performance in the bubble was more representative of this team's level, right? Yeah. And, yep. you know, it's just not the same team. Fundamentally, it's just not. And, you know, I do think repairing that is going to take some work here this offseason. Well, and I keep seeing it in my timeline, like, enough, we get it. You know, Toffoli's moved on and that's fine. But you can't just sweep it under the rug because... So many conversations lead back to those decisions. Like you mentioned Sam Reinhardt. That's great. For all the things you said about Sam Reinhardt, I agree. But they sort of had their Sam Reinhardt here in a right shot goal scoring guy. Totally. That you've gone out and paid a hefty price to acquire. Like all of a sudden now, if you're going to make this <laughs> and play to get. And who's going to be more affordable on his current deal than Reinhardt totally. will be yeah. on his next, right? Like- right. So, so you can't, like, I, I understand sort of the, the frustration of some of the fan base and they do want it just to go away. And yet there's Tyler Toffoli popping up in the third round of the playoffs with the Canucks head coach <laughs> in attendance doing what he has done all season long. So sorry, barking up the wrong tree. Uh, you know, like that storyline can't just be put to bed, even if you have some fan fatigue about it. No, no. Well, and it speaks to, you know, it speaks to everything. Like it speaks to evaluations. It speaks to like, why was this club 
unable to use a buyout? Uh, why, why was the defense prioritized to such an extent that they were willing to walk away from Ty Toffoli, right? Were, were they wrong about this club's inability, organizationally, uh, about this club's uh, ability to score, right? Uh, to the point that, you know, they could afford to weaken their top six like that. Um, pretty clear the top six forward remains a gap uh, for this team, especially with, you know, the way that Gaudet and Vertanen and McEwen, none of them progress next year, right? Um, or last year. So, yeah, I mean, I think it speaks to a whole host of things that challenges that the club faces again this year, right? Managing a really tight cap space situation, finding ways to carve out additional cap space. And that's that's really the key. Like, as I've been thinking about this more and more, right? And, and as additional people keep asking me, like, would you trade the ninth overall for Sam Reinhardt? You know, the thing I keep coming back to is if you're trading a top 10 pick, right? You have to be pretty damn sure you're a really good team, right? Like you don't trade a top 10 pick and the next season miss the playoffs or have any doubt about missing the playoffs. Like you cannot trade a top 10 pick and the next season be a bubble playoff team. Like that's not how this works. That That is, that is insane. You know, if you're trading that pick, it's, it, you have to be really sure that you're good, that you're really good. And so what I keep coming back to and thinking about this and thinking about the shape of like, is there a scenario in which the Canucks should realistically consider moving ninth overall? For me, it's like, you have to be not just getting a good player, but reallocating cap space from an inefficient one, right? So it's like, do you trade ninth overall for Sam Reinhardt? Like, I don't know. Because if you do, then you are still looking at filling out your blue line with like 3 million in space instead of 8 million in space. Like, I, I find it difficult to see how the club fits a five and a half, six million dollar piece on into the lineup if they're not finding ways to get out of, you know, the Holpe money uh, beyond a buyout. Because a buyout's only 3 million. You know, like that, if Sam Reinhardt takes up six of your 11, you're still kind of fucked, right? Um, Roussel, Beagle, Erickson, like it really needs to involve reappropriating that cap space in addition to upgrading. Like would I do ninth overall with Louis Erickson, 6 million for Sam Reinhardt. So now all of a sudden I'm turning Louis Erickson, 6 million into a top six piece, a credible top six piece. Like, yeah, then I'm starting to think about it. Then it's becoming something that I think the club benefits from. Um, I don't, who's going to do that, right? Like, is Buffalo going to do that? I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, market value for moving off a of Louie might be that ninth overall in isolation, right? Right. Based yeah. on, based on what we've seen with the Marlowe comp and on and on. So it becomes really complicated for me. And, and I just think the fundamental challenge of this off season is however, however it's done, right? Whether through buyouts, whether through trades, it's about finding if you can find any way to get any value out of Beagle's three and Erickson's six and Roussel's three and Holpe's four or three, uh, four point three. Then, then you begin to be talking about an off season in which you can be aggressive, right? Like if you could reappropriate that Erickson space into a player like a Reinhardt, like a top six piece at the cost of your first overall. If you could find a team like I was looking through teams that I expected to be motivated to save cash, for example, right? Because Beagle has this bonus after it's paid out, he's only owed 1 million in salary, right? Would a team like the Arizona Coyotes, right? Do a deal where you got Tyler Pitlick, 
right? Who's like a pretty fast, tough, good bottom six forward uh, type of guy you could see Travis Green playing a ton of, like, right, just playing him a ton. Could you get him for Jay Beagle if you retained $1.3 million uh, of Beagle's cap it? So it's a cap neutral deal, but you upgrade from Beagle to Pitlick. The Coyotes would save, um, you know, they, they'd take on an additional $1.3 million in cap, but they'd save, you know, almost $2.5 million in the transaction. That might be attractive, right, to the Coyotes. They might enjoy saving that money. Is that the type of deal you can make? Um, and if you did say both of those, right, now all of a sudden – Instead of looking at having, you know, negative value contributors at $9 million in cap space, you're looking at having like a really good bottom six forward and a really good top six forward for that money. Now, now the logic of a Holtby buyout begins to make sense, right? Now, at least you're positioned to be competitive enough next season that you can begin to do some of the things that fans get excited about in terms of, you know, making win now moves, Um but with it, but in the absence of like all of that falling into place, JPAT, I just think you're better off targeting the Fogels and the Appletons of the world and waiting till next season to really go big game hunting in terms of reconstructing your supporting cast and your blue line. And that's increasingly how I'm beginning to think about sort of the Canucks challenge this offseason. And, and the meat of that work really does have to happen before the roster freeze over the next month. I don't think the Sabres have the appetite to take on Louis Erickson for a final year. So try this one on for size. Poke a hole in this theory. What if you could attach Antoine Roussel to that ninth overall pick? A guy that could play, like he, he could play for the Sabres. He could play this final year of his contract. In fact, if he played well, you know, maybe they could flip him and get something for him right. uh, at the deadline as a pending UFA. Like yeah, a rental. double retention guy, sure. Yeah. Yeah, like, do you, is there more validity in something like that? Again, I just don't see the Sabres thinking, like, I think Lou Erickson devalues that ninth overall pick at, at his price point, but Roussel might be a little more palatable because, A, he's half the price, but B, you know, I think he can still play out the final year of his contract. Yeah, I mean, but that's the type of thing you need to attach. If you're going big game hunting with the ninth overall, you need to attach, like, inefficient money to it, right? Whether, whether maybe maybe it's maybe it's Holtby, right? Like maybe they'd like a locker room leader and a goaltender, right, to yeah, partner with yeah. Luke, like Allmark. But you know, I'm not I'm not suggesting specifics so much as I'm suggesting concepts, things the club could look at. You know, the other guy that the Sabers have that I think makes sense as a money dump type player would be Colin Miller, right? Colin Miller makes three point eight. It's all salary. Um, is there an opportunity to you know? find your way or get or get your way in there um, and and sort of lower the acquisition cost because you're saving the Sabres a ton of money in a season in which, especially with the, you know, what they're considering doing with Jack Eichel and maybe having two top five picks. I mean, the, the reason for the Sabres to do it would be we have three picks in the top 10. We're doing it the right way this time. Right. And we're, and we're saving money. Um, so, you know, that's an opportunity too. Those are the types of pieces and players that I'm really focused on right now in terms of my, trawling around for concepts because that's sort of where I think, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's effectively like the Florida model. It's effectively doing Mike Matheson for Patrick Hornquist, right? Like it's bad money in bad money out, but at least you're finding someone who you can get more value out of. Uh, it's the Edmonton Oilers trading, you know, Milan Lucic for James Neal, right? Like that's, that's sort of where the Canucks are looking at. And if you're trying to be aggressive, if you're trying to make the playoffs next year, fundamentally 
the first step is finding some way to turn the 19 plus million you've got committed to Erickson, Beagle, <laughs> Roussel, and Holtby into something of real tangible value for this club. And it's a really tall order. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. There are so many good stories going on around the Stanley Cup playoffs and and so many incredible players performing at, at such a high, high level. The guy that I am locked on to right now, and I think this can tie into the Vancouver Canucks because we've spent lots of time here on the VanCast Talk talking about, you know, that third line center position and how are they going to address it. I don't think he is necessarily the fit, but I can't get enough of Philip Deneau right now for the Montreal Canadiens. And like he was incredible last night, 21 and a half minutes, uh, played nine minutes of the third period, trying to lock down that lead. Uh, he's a UFA to B. How does how does the league value a guy like that who plays a ton and is so good defensively but produces nothing? He is the Habs' leading ice time guy among forwards and has two points, 12 games into the playoffs. Plays a ton. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of thought in the way of offense. Like, How's the league going to value him? Because I, I think as a UFA, there isn't a team that's going to go out there and say, like, we have to have this guy to play on our top line necessarily, even though he's kept Stone and Pacioretty in check so far through the first couple of games. Like, he's he's done his job, but he's just such a unique player in that offense seems to be, you know, a, 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 I don't know. Like, it doesn't even seem to register with him, and yet... The Habs love him, and he's really good at what he does. I think he would be highly valued around the league. I think he's seen as a beast, and he should be seen as a beast. He's an incredible two-way player. You know, he wasn't on my Selkie ballot this year, but he was the year prior, and deservedly so. Um, You know, the the lack of offense, I mean, he had, what, 24 points in 53 regular season games? So that's decent production. I mean, that's, you know... 35-ish points with without a ton of power play time. Like, that's what I'd call a low-end second-line rate. Um, so he produces at a low-end second-line rate in the regular season. That's sort of consistent with, you know, not consistent with his past seasons where he was a 50-point player, right? But I think he'd be valued as a genuine top six forward with plus-plus defensive value. And so I think he's going to be an expensive, expensive piece um, in free agency. Like, at, you know, definitely, definitely a four, $5 million piece uh, per year. So, you know, I, I do think a player like Deneau, perfect fit though he'd be, is going to be out of the price range of a lot of teams. And there's a lot of teams that would love to add a player like that, especially if they can envision him playing third line center. Uh, you know, that, I mean, he's, he's exceptional. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's, I think he's out of the Canucks' price range, right? Like, it, for sure, for sure. Oh, so I do I, yeah. 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 And, you know, then you get down to how do you fill out, you know, you're like, first of all, I think it's going to be Miller anyway, but how do you find value? Like, I don't see a Carter Verhage on the open market this year. 
You know what I mean? Like I, I, I just don't. I think you're looking at a, a different class of gamble if you're the Canucks, which it, which again just sort of shines the spotlight on the leverage of doing you know a, an expansion, a smart expansion type deal, like of, of getting an Appleton or of getting a Fogle, uh, of getting a player like that, um, as opposed to you know big game hunting because I just I just don't see the space for big game hunting without clearing additional cap commitment with the no though like don't you again there's so much value in a guy that can shut down the other team's best players oh, yeah it's just I, I, he's not a sexy player like if you're going to make a big splash in free agency and you're you're trying to sell that to your family like he doesn't have a goal here in the playoffs again if two points. the guys that two points guys and 13 he, right Right, but if the guys that he is tasked with shutting down don't score, then he is doing his job. But it's just, there can't be a long list in the history of the NHL of teams this deep into the playoffs whose leading ice time guy among forwards brings no offense. No, it's uh, it's a pretty incredible accomplishment. Um, and like a pretty ha- unique the Habs, one. The Habs are this deep. They're tied 1-1 in the third round. They're three wins away from a trip to the Stanley Cup final with home ice advantage now. <laughs> yeah, and their top and forward has two Bre- points. B- but Brendan Gallagher has two goals. Josh Anderson scored their first goal of the playoffs in game one against the Leafs and hasn't scored since, although he made a good play on the Byron goal last night, the sort of stick check. Uh, it doesn't show up in the box score, but Brendan Gallagher has two goals. Josh Anderson has one, and Phil Deneau has no goals. And here are the Habs, three wins away from a trip to the Stanley Cup final. Like, you know, look, there's no blueprint. If there was, teams would follow it and they'd have success. Like, you know, you got to play to your strengths. And for the Montreal Canadiens, that is uh, obviously more on the defensive side. And, you know, we talked about it at the outset of the series. If they get a lead, look out. Like, Vegas is going to have some trouble. And we saw that last night. But in the first game of the series, Vegas was able to get the lead. Montreal playing catch-up. You know, they don't have that firepower to dig themselves out of holes. But, man, they're doing a nice job so far of, I mean, it's Alex Petrangelo or nobody, essentially, for Vegas scoring the goals. So that tells you that the Habs have done a pretty good job on the Vegas forwards through two games. The There is a lesson, though. There is a lesson from the Montreal Canadiens being here that is worth noting for Canucks fans, right? Because the fundamental difference in what the Habs and the Canucks did in their experience over the past 12 months, right? Because both had a little bit of a surprise run in their respective bubbles, right? Um, But where they really differ (laughs) is one team spent like crazy, right? Like one team exercised almost unique financial might in a challenging offseason, right? And one team joined the pack and was one of the bottom 10 spenders in the NHL as a result of the pressures, the financial pressures of the pandemic. And right then and there, you've got the dif- the difference, right? Like the Habs went out and, you know, spent like crazy, man. They did. They And they, and they had a ton of draft picks, which helped them do it. But, I mean, Jake Allen at a big number. Um, Josh Anderson at a huge number. Uh, Joel Edmondson, re-up. right? Yeah, they re I mean, up Gallagher, yeah. Re-up Gallagher, Tyler Toffoli, right? I mean, they're, t- the Tyler Toffoli example is perfect, right? Like, that tells you everything. And that's, I think, the fundamental difference. One team one team went about spending this offseason and is way further than anyone could have realistically imagined. And the other, you know, did not. And, you know, took a 
further step back than anyone could have imagined. Now, it does seem with the Clark deal, the Travis Green deal, um, you know, both at competitive market value and, and in Clark's case, you know, well beyond competitive market value, right? Um, that the taps are back on a little bit. And that's a big that's a big thing for the Canucks because one way around a lack of cap space is to spend quietly, right? Like if you take some swings on a bunch of $1 million guys or relatively affordable guys and they don't work out, but their cap hits are low, uh, you know, no big deal, like no big deal. Right. And so there's like a volume approach that you can take in throwing, you know, shit against a wall as it were. Right. (laughs) And, and, and hoping something sticks and, you know, this was not the Habs model, but the Habs had cap space. But the, like, if you go look at the Panthers rebuilt blue line, and I, and I keep coming back to the Panthers just because I think it's such an instructive example for the Canucks. Like, it's a team that, you know, was out of it, good core, not enough of a supporting cast. How did they fix it? And they, they effectively rebuilt their blue line on the sly with a couple of affordable gambles, $2.5 million per year for Radko Gudis. Uh, uh, trading for t- Marcus Nudavara at 2.7. That one didn't quite work out for them. Not certainly didn't work out for them as well as the Gudis deal. Um, and then Noah Juleson, Kevin Connaughton, and Gustav Forsling off of waivers. And one of those three guys turns out to be a revelation in their top four, right? And and But it's when you look at the cumulative effect of taking all of those swings in terms of budget, right? You end up with like a $6 million, you know, that's the same fundamentally as adding a Nate Schmidt to your roster, right? It's just that you're taking additional swings. And if one pops and you get huge surplus value out of it, then you get huge surplus value out of it, right? Like, but, but the financial spend is the same. And, and that's something I think the Canucks can do this off season, right? Is like, you know, cast a wider net. Maybe you're not going to be able to chase Seth Jones on the trade market, but if you bring in, you know, say, say a Brad Hunt plus, you know, a guy like Chris Weidman, who was the KHL's top scoring defenseman, sort of fell out of favor in the NHL, you know, plus, um, you know, a, a Yanni Hackenpay or, or John Merrill, who's played really well for the Habs. Um, can you get one guy, maybe Jake McCabe is a guy I like, or Jordan Osterley from the, from the Coyotes. Like if you take a bunch of lower leverage swings can you mine one or maybe two everyday players with lesser cap impact, right? That's something, again, like not the sexy approach, but something that could pay real dividends for this team as they hope to improve. Like that's just sort of the arena this Canucks team is playing at. And, And it's as a result of, you know, unwise commitments from yesteryear. Uh, sort of rearing their head and complicating matters further in, in this flat cap era. And that's sort of, you know, one way the club can sort of navigate things. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Tom, did you see the NHL Players Association, the player survey that I was did. released? Not a Canuck to be found anywhere. No. <laughs> no. Um, I think Petey might have gotten robbed for most fashionable. Yeah. I think he probably yeah. deserved more consideration there. Uh, but, 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 I mean, tough to argue with much other than no, that, right? Uh, I thought it was interesting by a two-to-one margin, players want to stick with that sort of baseball-style schedule of staying and playing in the same city, but at the same time, they want to get back to playing other teams in other divisions. So, uh, you know, you're not going to get a series of three or four games in the same city if you go back to interdivisional play, but clearly they were down with the idea of playing the same opponent a couple of times in a row. Yeah. I mean, I... I like that. I like that idea. How, how many times you play like central teams, right? So the Canucks would play central teams, other Western division teams, I mean, more often than you'd play Eastern teams, right? Eastern teams, you do a one and one, right? Yeah. And then, but, but you'd still have, there'd still be a good case to be doing, um, you know, a, a, a four day stint in Nashville, right? Um, yeah, or, I mean, if you're going to go to Nashville, if you're going to go to Nashville twice in a season, the argument would be to play both of your games in right. in one stop. Yeah, and that and that sounds awesome for us, J. Pat. <laughs> Great, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> um, you know, uh, so yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm all for it. I'm all for that. That sounds fantastic. I think I think it makes a ton of sense from an environmental perspective. I think it makes a ton of sense from a wear and tear perspective. I definitely think there's different ways of doing this, and you know. Let's go. Let's let's go. Let's the players want it. Jonathan Taves is on board. Seems like the right call. Don't know if I could handle four straight lunches at Pecan Lodge. That might be. <laughs> <laughs> you'd, have, you'd have to carry me out on day three, yeah. probably. Well, I mean, you know, we could always uh, we could always give it a shot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you have to aim high, J. <laughs> I suppose we have to aspire to something. Uh, the other news of the day is that uh, the GMs of the year uh, are out. The candidates, Mark Bergevin, Lou Lamorello, and Bill Zito. Are these voted on by... I, I get confused because GMs vote on the Vesna. Who votes on the GMs? Is that a media... I think it's other vote? GMs. Yeah, I think it's the... I think oh, it's, that's other GMs? I think it's self-selected. Okay. It's like the Ted Lindsay. Uh, and I'm, I guess I'm okay with that. Like, GMs voting for the Vesna doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But it it is what it is. But, you know, a pure vote would make some sense when you're looking at executive of the year. So I don't, I don't uh, see why I don't see how uh, 
just for me, I don't see how Joe Sackick's a nominee this year. Personally, I also think Julian Brisbois should be a nominee this year. Um, but, you know, when you hold the voting sort of after the playoffs, I mean, I, I guess it makes sense. But, I mean, you add Taves and Brandon Saad for a song and do what the Avs did all year. Like, yeah, you lose game seven. But, I mean, <laughs> that team was a monster. One of the, one of the best teams I've seen in the, in the uh, cap era. Uh, I know, I know playoff success matters a ton to everybody in this, in this business as it should, but, um, you know, in, in terms of grading the work, uh, I, I just, I, it doesn't make sense to me that Joe Sackett wouldn't have been a nominee. Well, we'll see who comes out uh, on top in that one again, Bill Zito, Florida, you got Lou Lamorello, the Islanders and Mark Bergevin. So two of the three GMs. Well, and actually, uh, how about, how about McCrimmon? Why is McCrimmon not a nominee? He, he upgraded, he upgraded Pietrangelo, Delt Schmidt. I mean... You know that's that was good work. Like that team is that team is yep. very very good and very very pressed up against the cap and still finds ways to make you know marginal improvements as they go. Like that's that's really hard to do. Um, you know, Bill Zito with the frequency that I cite the Florida model is something <laughs> the Canucks should ape here, right? I mean, I think he nailed his first off season. Um, for me, that's a no doubter. And, you know, Bergevin, obviously, with what the Habs have accomplished in the playoffs, deserves a, a hat tip, although I wonder if you could give it to Jeff Molson. Um, but, you know, the 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 exclusion of Sackick is one that I find deeply confusing. Well, we'll see uh, when the results are revealed as they uh, go through here, uh, through the Stanley Cup final. I think we get, uh, there's no award show this year as there was last year. They'll just do it sort of on a nightly basis. And, and we saw the other night, Oscar Lindblom of the Flyers gets the Masterton, and I've said this before, like, I, I I hate picking a winner there. Like, I mean, he's an incredible story, but so is Patrick Marlowe when he sets the all-time games played record. Like, you're talking about dedication and perseverance for a guy that's now played more games than anybody in the National Hockey League, and yet you're putting up against a guy that has overcome cancer. I just wish they would just, like, leave it at the league level. Every team submits a finalist, and we celebrate all of those guys because I just think it's so hard to pick one over the other but uh, hat tip to the winners and to all of the finalists for all these league awards I uh, want to mention that we've got a couple of other pod options for you here at The Athletic that you might want to check out former Canuck Matt Cook joins Mike Russo on Straight from the Source find out what the cooker is up to in his after playing days uh, that's available at The Athletic also Nashville Predators goalie Pekka Rinne joins Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun on the two-man advantage edition of The Athletic Hockey Show so you can look for those we always love your feedback, and uh, we make it easy for you. You can check out our comment section, leave us a remark. Uh, that's at the Athletic app as well. Each episode has its own comment section, so uh, drop us a line there. Also, rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. If you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive a subscription for just $3.99 a month. Again, we direct you to Mock Draft version 7.0, one month from teams having to submit their protected list to the National Hockey League, an instructive piece that is well worth your time. Uh, all right, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the VanCast, unless you've got anything else you want to jump in on. I mean, I always can go, but... <laughs> no, let's, uh, let's week, leave next it there. Week, yeah, I've got to save, yeah, I've got to save some stuff. <laughs> next week we'll present more options for you, more opportunities. But uh, no, we'll call it a day. Uh, thanks to everybody for uh, taking some time out of their day to listen to another episode of the VanCast here at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com.